Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. Today, we're talking to another Caribbean student, recent graduate, who just matched into an outstanding internal medicine program. Uh, if you know her from Instagram, her handle is at PrescriptionFitnessMD. Her name is Caitlin McSurdy, and we are going to talk to her now about everything she did as a Caribbean student, as an IMG, to help improve her chances of getting into residency so that you can do the same. Let's dive in and get started. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode. If you're watching us on YouTube, welcome. If you're listening on the podcast, welcome. We have uh, back with us for a second time, Caitlin McSurdy. You might know her as Prescription Fitness MD on Instagram. She just matched. So, Caitlin, congrats and welcome back. Congratulations, Doc. Thank you. So, pretty excited, obviously. Um, there's a lot of students who are following in your footsteps <laughs> who reach out to us all the time asking for tips and tricks. And so, we just decided let's interview as many people as we can who have gone through the journey from Caribbean foreign medical student to now resident. And not only did you match, you matched at one of the best schools in the country, which is amazing. Um, so let's just dive in. So for, for people who don't know about you, why don't you just give us a little background, where you're from, where you did undergrad, what you did um, you know, leading up to med school. Sure, so um, I'm originally from Northeastern Pennsylvania. Um, I did my undergraduate at Temple University in Philadelphia. I got my bachelor's in biology in 2015, and then I took a gap year. I traveled, I did some clinical research, and then I applied to St. George's University, where I'm now four weeks away from getting my MD. <laughs> awesome. That's amazing. And so <clears throat> what made you decide to go the Caribbean route? So... My GPA when I was an undergrad uh, wasn't bad. It was pretty good, a 3.61, um, which also being a Division One student athlete, um, I had a lot on my plate. So a 3.61, I know it's not great for a U.S. med school, but it's also not terrible. It was dean's list every semester, but my issue was MCAT. Um, so I took it the first time. I got like a 19, um, and I still applied to you know U.S. schools with that. Obviously, I didn't get accepted anywhere. Um, so then I took the new MCAT um, as my redo. I don't even remember how it scored, so I don't remember what I got, but it wasn't substantially better. But I still did apply to uh, USMD and USDO schools both. Um, and I got waitlisted for an interview, never wound up actually getting an interview spot. Um, and I thought two rounds was enough. So I decided to look into SGU, Ross, and AUC, ultimately choosing SGU in the end. Well, it looks like you won in the end, so joke's on yeah. them, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so you went to St. George's. So yesterday we spoke with um, someone who went to Ross. So I'm very curious to know, when you first got to school, what sort of emphasis did the, the, the faculty, maybe the students ahead of you, put on the importance of the USMLE with respect to your future prospects as a resident? Um, a very, very, very heavy emphasis. <laughs> Um, I easily in terms of, you know, getting us to match and advice they gave us on, you know, best way to match or ways to put yourself in the best position. Um, it was always step one score, step one score, step one score drilled into your head from day one. So, um, anxiety provoking process for sure. But, uh, in the end I, I kind of get it because programs really do look at step one, uh, very heavily. So, um, that's definitely the main thing. The emphasis was very heavy on step one. 
And so with that said, did they give you any concrete advice that you guys could use to actually do well on step one? Or did they kind of just say step one's important, now go do well on step one? Um, you know, I think, I think that they did prepare us very well for step one. I wouldn't say they gave us specific resources, but they did keep up with like how the USMLE was like administering the exam. So in terms of amount of seconds per question for every exam, starting from the beginning of term one, we were given the same amount of questions. I forget, what is it? 82 seconds per question or something. I think for is allotted for USMLE step one. Um, that's exactly what we were given uh, when we were doing basic sciences as well. So they simulated the exams as best as they could. Obviously it's difficult because it's not a prometric center. It's a university, but um, in terms of just prepping you for the environment and getting you to get through questions like pretty fast and kind of just pulling what you need from question stems, I think they did a pretty good job at preparing us for. So a prospective student who let's say is an undergrad is considering those three schools, for example, um, you would be confident. I think we talked about this last time. You'd be confident in recommending your school as, as, as a school who did a good job of getting you at least somewhat prepared from your point of view for step one. Absolutely. Okay, Absolutely. Good. good, good. So tell us a little bit about your actual USMLE preparation. For example, when did you really start implementing step one prep? And when, what did you do? So did you start early, kind of start later? Give us a little insight into that. Sure. So um, for step one, I took six weeks of dedicated. Um, however, this is obviously not the only time you're studying for step one. Really, step one prep begins your very first day of med school, because if you don't understand everything in year one, you're not going to be able to build on it and learn the pathology of it for year two. So you really do need all of those fundamentals. Um, but in terms of, you know, actually honing in on prepping for just step one, I would say I started probably halfway through my last semester in Grenada. Um, our school does the comps at the end, which I know most schools do. And ours is, an, ours is written by NBME. So since it's the same test writers, it sort of gives you a, um, like a baseline for where you're going to be during dedicated. So I've tried to focus on, you know, doing a lot of UWorld, focusing on my weaknesses for my comps to see exactly where I stood going into Dedicated and what I needed to spend the most time on. Um, and then when Dedicated came around, I would do, I think, two blocks of UWorld in the morning and then review those two blocks. Usually then it was like lunchtime. So I would take my lunch. In the afternoon, I would do my system of the day, which I would use first aid and pathoma to kind of review whatever system being cardiology, pulmonology, whatever it was for that specific day. Um, and then at nighttime, something I found very helpful for the more mundane topics like uh, biochem, micro and farm, I put them into a rotation. So I did a six day rotation for each of them. Um, like for example, micro, I would do Monday's gram positives, Tuesday gram negatives, Wednesday fungi, et cetera. Um, and then every day I would do an hour of whatever that topic was for micro, whatever that topic was for farm and whatever that topic was for bio. So ultimately I wound up going over the same thing six times because a lot of that is not anything you can understand. You just have to purely memorize it. Um, and if you keep looking at it, you'll know it. And if you don't keep looking at it, you will forget it. So um, that's something I kind of thought was very helpful for the mundane subjects for step one. 
see, but here in this, it's the sacrifice and the dedication day to day, right? Whether you're training, you're working out, or you're going to school, so many students out there, they want the 260s, 270s, they want to succeed. And then they go, well, I'll take off the weekend. All right, I don't want to really do this. And that's, that's why I'm happy that you brought that up because you have to have a structure. You have to have a game plan every day, a schedule, or else you, you won't succeed. You won't get that, you won't get what you want. Very yeah, I absolutely agree. It is, it's kind of all a mental game um, because then you do have to take into consideration too. Like if you are feeling really burnt out, it probably is better to take that half day off, give sure. yourself the, the couple hours to recuperate and get back at it the next day because Otherwise, the, sec the second day is just going to be burnt out again anyways. And I know that's something that's hard for myself and a lot of medical students is to take that time off if you need it because you feel like you can. But it's a few hours is, is okay <laughs> to take, yeah. some, take some breathing room. <laughs> yeah, really good point. Uh, scheduling rest time and downtime is, is as important as scheduling the work time. Because as, as <clears throat> doctors, medical students, we tend to overdo it and not give ourselves that that rest time, which you need it just like you need to sleep in order to process the information and really move it into the long-term memory. So super, super important. Um, when you were prepping, did you face any particular challenges, maybe, maybe mental challenges, you know, just keeping yourself motivated or were there any topics that sort of got in your way and would you do to overcome anything like that? Sure. So um, I think for step one and step two, I had two different um, barriers, I guess. For step one, the biggest barrier was I was so used to studying in my little cubicle in my study hall in Grenada. And I came home to the U.S. and I wasn't sure where I was going to study. And when I finally found where I was going to study, it just it didn't feel like my normal study location. Um, so again, just little mental things. I would say that was probably my biggest challenge for step one. Uh, for step two, CK, you're just not used to sitting in a cubicle for 10 hours a day anymore. So sitting down for dedicated for step two was very, very difficult. Because um, you're used to being on the wards and then coming home doing some UWorld questions, watching a video or two, not just sitting there and doing 100 UWorld questions, reviewing 100 UWorld questions. You're just not used to it anymore. How long did you take for step two? Um, for dedicated, I took yeah. two weeks. Okay. Um, and I thought it was plenty because, again, I think shelves are something that really helped for step two CK, which I think is some of the reason that people tend to do better on CK because you're taking mini CKs all throughout mm -hmm. the year. They're old, yeah. they're retired CK questions anyways, um, and you're essentially like prepping all year. So I think that's okay. yeah, I a little helpful also. Yeah. So, so that we can really, really relate to other IMGs out there who are listening to this and saying, oh, that's just like me. Can you give us an approximation of how you did on step one and two so that students out there can say, oh, okay, I have those types of scores, so I can be positive that I will match. You don't have to tell us your actual scores, but an approximation so that everyone can sort of get an idea. Yeah, no, it's okay. I, I will just say my scores. I don't care. Okay, um, okay. <laughs> I mean, I match, so I, I honestly am pretty careless at this point. Step one was 246 and step two, 257. Okay. Wow. Amazing scores. Very good Thank scores. you. Okay. Um, so where'd you do your clinicals? I did all of my cores in New York and pretty much all of my fourth year in New York as well. I did two auditions um, in Florida. Um, because I thought I wanted to match in Florida, but here I am. Until, in the you, North until you visited, <laughs> until you visited, and then you changed your mind, or what? No, I think ultimately someday I do still want to wind up in Florida, um, just not right now. Yeah. 
too many uh, too too many temptations. Maybe while well, you should be working hard to build your career, probably. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so it's a good idea. Um, so, did you do a rotation at the place you matched? No. Okay. Um, I did not. So, okay. The next question is: When you were doing your rotations, what are some things that you think you did? that maybe stood out to residency directors, program directors, that other students could do as well? Maybe taking leadership roles, doing certain things, anything that you think you did that stood out? Um, so something that I didn't really expect, it kind of just came my way, was there's the Gold Humanism Honor Society. Um, and so I was nominated for that. And it was brought up in, I would say, half or maybe more than half of my interviews. Um, so if you can somehow get into that or do something that will get you nominated into that, I guess that is something that looks very favorable because I had many people mention that to me um, in the past. Um, the way I was nominated, I, when I was on the wards, I would sort of take the extra time because, you know, I, I have the extra time as a student, um, whereas the residents are kind of running around and stuff. Um, and I would just like draw pictures for the patients to help them understand what was going on if they looked confused. Because sometimes, yeah. you know, things will be explained to them and you can tell that they don't get it. And then, you know, the doctor leaves the room anyways, because, you know, they're busy. So like, you know, I kind of get it, kind of don't, but yeah. I have the extra time. I would rather them understand what's going on because they can take care of themselves better if they actually get it. So I would just draw them pictures and try and just get them to understand what's going on. And people like that. so. They, I read in my little comments that that's what I was nominated for. So little things like that, I guess, apparently can get you nominated for this. I don't know. Um, but it definitely is looked very favorably upon in interviews. Do you know who nominated you for that? Was it a, a group of people or one person in particular? So I think fellow students do it, but I'm not, I'm honestly not sure. Okay. Honestly not sure. Um, I came up, you said half the time? In interviews half the time? I would say half or wow. maybe even a little over half the time it was brought oh, up. Wow. Um, either as a point or just like to say congratulations and then that was it. But it was brought up very often. Okay. Um, other things I think you can do that you can kind of control um, is just find, find a way that you can help people that you're very passionate about. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that was brought up for me like pretty often was that I volunteered for the uh, New, York half, uh, New York City Marathon uh, medical uh, tent at the finish line. And then I also did the New York Runners Team for Kids um, because I am very interested in preventative medicine and it really helps you know, kids in New York get the resources to you know, play soccer, run track, et cetera, keep childhood obesity down, which gives them you know, better health as an adult so a lot of people really liked that I was able to tie something I'm very passionate about outside of medicine, running, and what I'm passionate about in medicine together. So if you can find something that you're just very passionate about, um, that can definitely um, look, it'll look very favorable as well. And now, it just speaks volumes. Some, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, it just speaks volumes because, I mean, this is who you are, your personality. Because so many students out there are always asking us, what do you do to improve your resume? Well, you know, if you have a gift, right, you have a passion of what you're doing, it should speak for itself, whether you're volunteering or you're doing this or doing that. Other people try to cram up their resumes and they don't do that great of a job because they, 
it's not it's not being fake. It's just they don't know what to do, right? But when it comes from your heart, it really it really speaks volumes, and it, it goes a long way. It's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it was interesting to me when I was going through interviews as well because I expected um, to talk about my research um, and things like that a little bit more. And I feel like I was asked about those a lot less often. Um, I know it probably differs per specialty, but at least for most of my internal interviews, um, they definitely asked more about, you know, my passions rather than, oh, tell me about this time you did this research project or this paper you wrote or um, whatever it may be. Um, I felt like that was asked much less often. I think that's really important that you brought that up because students are obsessed, as you probably know, with doing more and more research and how many research should I have published and, you know, how do I get it? And the thing that I keep telling people is if you're just going to do the same thing that everyone else is doing, you're not going to stand out. And so I think that's why, like what you're talking about now is so unique. I mean, I've never heard of anyone who did that. So that's kind of a good takeaway from this, in my opinion, is do something different. And that's what we've been telling people. Do things that are different that you can stand out. And I think that's an amazing thing. An amazing point is what are you passionate about? And then how can you link that to medicine? And then come up with something outside the box. You know, you don't have to keep repeating the same things everyone else is doing because then you don't stand out. So I think yeah, that's of course, awesome. they go through so many applications. They don't want them all to look exactly the same. <laughs> exactly. 100%, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. That's like I have 25 publications. Like, who cares? I mean, it doesn't no one cares. Yeah. yeah. No, it's it, honestly, and I think to a lot of, even though, you know, you, everyone's a physician you're dealing with, I think for the most part, a lot of people aren't all that interested in research unless it's groundbreaking and it really does change things. Let's be honest here. So if you're listening or watching, keep that in mind, you know, do something interesting. No one wants to read a paper 500 <laughs> times over. Let's be honest. Right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, let's just be honest with everybody. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you, off the top of your head, know how many interviews you had? Invited uh, to. Invited to. How many I was invited to? Yes. 50. On the dot. 50. And how many did you go to? I went on 22 or 23. Okay. What did your sister say she went to? 15, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, so it seems uh, like 15 to 20-ish is kind of like that yeah. sweet spot. Yeah. Yeah, I... Like something I will be like, you know, I guess counseling people on in the future. You don't need to go on 23 interviews. It's completely unnecessary. Um, and, you know, it's a lot. It's a, it's a lot to do. It's a lot. And it's very, very expensive. Very, very expensive. Yeah, no, I could, could imagine. Well, and, so, and what I realized was with my sister, you know, is a lot of them have the dinners the night before, right? So it's not just yes. one day. And in my sister's school, they told, and then I see the same thing with your school. There were some policies with the electives that you couldn't miss a certain amount of days per month. But it's like, if you have eight interviews and each interview is roughly two days, you have to go the night before for dinner, for example, that's 16 days right there. I mean, you would, yeah. you would, you would miss your elective and that's doesn't exactly. make any sense. And then why they have that policy. Yeah, I definitely agree. If that is something that is very difficult. And even if like people are being lenient, you still wind up feeling guilty because you're like, oh, well, I'm supposed to be fulfilling my obligations in clinicals. Um, and e so even if your preceptors are lenient with you, which I mean, for me, I think the large majority of them were a little more lenient because they're like, well, you can't match if you don't go on interviews. I'm like, that's true. Um, <laughs> true, true. But yeah, it really depends. It, it, that's one of the most stressful things about interview season is just the fact that you don't get the time off. Um, it would just be easier if I was taking an online class. I didn't have to worry about feeling guilty about not being 
in the hospital or, you know, whatever. Um, or like offering to make up days on weekends. It's it would just be easier if I didn't have to go through that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so you're fresh out of this match process. If, if an IMG was to walk up to someone, let's say a year behind you from St. George's or from Ross or wherever and said, you know, aside from what you just said, great scores, uh, you know, very interesting extracurriculars. What other advice would you give an IMG to at least put them in a good position to hopefully improve their risks or their chances of matching? Yeah. So I think it definitely depends on what specialty you're applying for. Um, if you're applying for a competitive specialty, I know this kind of goes against what we just said, but a lot of the competitive specialties want research. Mm -hmm. So be realistic with yourself. If, if you're applying for some, like a position that you probably need research for, have the research um, so that you at least give yourself the actual chance. Because if you don't have the research for urology or opto, um, you're not really giving yourself yeah, a fair chance because you're already you know, lacking the requirements, sure. um, the basic yeah. requirements. Um, the other thing I was thinking would be <laughs> just do well on step. As an IMG, it really is the one thing that can put you on the same playing field as all other U.S. students. Um, because if you're getting, you know, a 235 and your U.S. counterpart is getting a 235, there's obviously no difference. Um, you know, yeah. it's a standardized score. So I hate honing in on the numbers, and I know that it's getting changed to pass-fail anyways, but until USMLE goes pass-fail across the board, I think even when step one becomes pass-fail, they're just going to focus in on CK score anyways as a filter. Definitely. Definitely. So, you know... It's, it's yeah, and I realize a lot of times students they put they, they put like uh, brakes on themselves. They go, you know, how high do I really have to score? That's a horrible mentality. How about you just shoot for the highest possible, work your work your butt off, and do the best you can instead of saying, well, if I get a two thirty or two forty, that mentality it, it's just it's it's a negative. And next thing you know, it just really you put that limitation on you completely. It's horrible. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And uh, I don't know. I just think it's a very unfortunate that that's you know you're you're worth your number, but it's the best thing you can do as an IMG to put yourself in a good position or at least so a fair position. Fair enough. So let's say someone came to you with below average scores, let's say 215, 215. What would you say to them? Um, in terms of applying? Yeah. Sure. So I would probably tell them to, you know, not necessarily reconsider. Perhaps they were interested in one of the lesser competitive specialties to begin with. Um, but you can't retake step like you can the MCAT. So your score is what it is. So you sort of have to be realistic with yourself, um, and apply. You can definitely still match with two fifteens. I know a few people who have, so I think you just have to be realistic and apply, you know, within your score realm. Of course you can still apply to your dream programs just to see if they will give you an interview, but apply within your realm. Um, make sure that your letters of recommendation are great. Um, when I went to the ACP conference last year, they did mention that letters of recommendation, I think were the second most important factor, um, next to step one. So having good letters of recommendation and working hard in clinicals would definitely be something that would be beneficial. And then like I was talking about before, just try and get something that shows that you're passionate about medicine, that you're very serious about this. Perhaps you're just not the best test taker, um, but that you really can, you know, change the lives of others and that that's what you're really passionate about. Um, 
very true. Yeah. Good. Well, I think those are all great tips. Um, and I did, I did give you a heads up on this one. If there's only one tip that you had, aside from step one scores, what would you give? I would say, similar to what I was just talking about, apply smart and be realistic. There are programs who will accept lower uh, scores and there are programs who accept higher scores. Um, if you have, you know, a 210 and you're, you want to do orthopedic surgery, you kind of have to come back down off cloud nine and be realistic with yourself that that is unlikely going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's, you know, the most important thing. If you're applying for a competitive specialty, apply very broadly. You know, perhaps you don't want to live in Colorado, but, you know, there's a bunch of programs in Colorado for whatever specialty you're applying for, then you know, it's a very small fraction of your life residency. You know, I lived yeah. in Grenada for two years for med school. So most residencies are like three to five years. So if you're really serious about doing it, just apply broadly, you know, just live where you have to live and then you can move wherever you want to move uh, in the very future. True. But applying broadly, applying smartly okay. is definitely the number one tip I would say I have for increasing your match chance. Dr. Stavros, any last questions? No, I'm just very proud of you, Doc. You know, we go back a long way, right? So it's like we saw Thank you before you. and now we see you after. So it's it's pretty cool, you know. And hopefully we get you back on when you're in residency, right? You know, maybe later Absolutely. in the year and we figure out a time. Yeah. Let's get <laughs> how you're feeling and the front lines. And, you know, God bless and thank you so much for what you're doing. We'll be, you will be doing soon, coming up soon thank in June. You. So it's exciting. Absolutely. Just be safe. Absolutely. You have open door policy. Anytime you want to come on, let us know. <laughs> you want to just, that sounds perfect. If, if first, if first year is a nightmare and you want to tell people, don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> come on, you can let us know. We can do 180, that. Well. 180. Go that way. <laughs> All right. Well, we won't take up any more of your time. Thank you so much. It was uh, great to see you again. And thanks. Doc. So proud of you. Good luck. And, Thank uh, you guys. Keep, keep in touch with us. All right. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Be safe. Bye. -bye. Thank you. Be bye. safe. Bye-bye.